Revelation as a starting point this morning. Uh, We uh, finished up studying the book of Revelation last week. It was a multi-week study. Let me just ask this uh, quickly, and don't feel obligated to raise your hand on any level. Uh, We've had a person or two express interest in wanting to order the Revelation CDs as a set. Uh, If we were to put those together, how many of you would be interested in buying uh, the Revelation set? Hold your hand up for me so we can get an idea. Okay. All right. Very good. That helps us just gauge interest on whether or not we should do that. So thank you very much. But we'll use Revelation as a jumping in point this morning or a starting point, and then uh, we'll move away from it. But uh, it uh, gets us us going. Let's stand Revelation 5. Stand for the reading of God's word. The series this year is Back to the Basics. All year long we've been covering the basics of the Christian faith. And uh, this week uh, we're transitioning out of the doctrine of end times into a different doctrine. And we're going to begin a mini-series. I'll announce uh, what that is here in just a moment. But let's begin by reading Revelation chapter number 5 and verses number 5 and 6. Jared, if I could have the lapel mic, that would be great. Revelation 5. I'll read verse 5 and we'll read verse 6 together. The Bible says... And when one of the elders, and when one of the elders, and one of the elders said unto them, excuse me, weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Together, verse six. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And the title of the series that we'll be going over the next three weeks is this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Let's pray. I ask, Lord, this morning that you'd help us as we begin to study who you are. And, Lord, we know loosely who you are from our cradle when... Symbols of Christianity have been seen all around us. But Lord, it's not enough to know the facts of who you are. We need to have a personal relationship with you. And so Lord, I pray that through this series, we as a church would grow a deeper appreciation for who you are, what you've done for us, what you continue to do for us. And Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today that has not yet accepted Christ, as their Savior, accepted you as your Savior, Jesus, would today be the day that they go from knowing the facts about you, or even some facts about you, to having a personal relationship with you, beginning that journey. And so, Lord, help us today to appreciate your word, to be challenged by it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. It has been said that no man lives to himself, and no man dies to himself. We We all leave this world different in some way than the way we found it. Um, But every so often, the world is introduced to a person who radically redefines and reshapes this planet. Sometimes in a good way, and sometimes in a bad way. Let me give you a few of these people that have lived that have greatly changed our planet, for some for good and some for bad. Here are a few political nobles. Alexander the Great, Constantine, Caesar, 
um, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison. They helped us establish the American model, or the United States of America model, that um, has so drastically affected the last uh, several hundred years of history around the world. Here's another set of political notables, but maybe on the other side of that. Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, Benito, Benito Mussolini. Uh, here's another one uh, uh, that would be a political notable. Winston Churchill. There are politicians from the Bible that greatly affected and altered this planet, such as Nimrod and Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and Herod and Nero. But it isn't just politicians that uh, change our planet. Uh, there are inventors that have greatly changed the way we live life. Inventors such as Benjamin Franklin, Eli Whitney, Johannes Gutenberg, Thomas Edison, and the Wright brothers. There are human rights activists that have greatly changed this country. Nelson Mandela, Mahatma Gandhi, Rosa Parks, uh, uh, Martin Luther King uh, Jr., and Susan B. Anthony. Uh, there have been religious and philosophical leaders that have left a strong uh, impact on this globe and have changed our, our world as we know it. Confucius, Buddha, Mohammed, Joseph Smith, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, William Carey, D.L. Moody, and Billy Graham, all recognizable names for anyone that knows much of anything about religion and its history. All of these men and women in their own way and for their own causes left this world quite different than the way they found it. But there was one man who lived, who not only changed the globe, but has altered all of eternity. As we explore this topic, who is Jesus? We find that Jesus was like no other. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus created the heavens and the earth in John chapter 1. Jesus is the Son of God. Throw that up there on the, on the screen there for me, Jared. Jesus is the Son of God in John chapter 10 and verse 30. Yet, Jesus is God, 1 John 5, 7. Jesus was born of a virgin, uh, Luke 1, 34 and 35. Jesus was born to peasant parents, John 1, 46. Jesus was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. In fact, there are 330. 35 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. A few of those pertain to his second coming and have not yet been fulfilled. But over 300 of them uh, were about his first coming and he fulfilled every last one of them. In fact, someone said if you stacked a pile of silver dollars across the entire state of Texas five deep and then put an, uh, an odd type silver dollar or a two-headed silver dollar somewhere in the middle of all those and told someone to find it on their first try, they have the same odds of finding it on the first try as Jesus had of fulfilling every single one of those Old Testament prophecies. The reason why he was able to do that is because God looked ahead in time and saw how Jesus would live and then went back to the Old Testament and prophesied about the very life of Jesus. You see, uh, not only do we learn these things about Jesus, but we learn that Jesus was homeless. Throw the next slide up there for me. He was homeless. Jesus loved the so, uh, the societal uh, rejects. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 11, we find that Jesus healed the hurting. Matthew 15, 30 and 31. Jesus even raised the dead. John eleven forty three. But not uh, it was not all good for Jesus. You see, Jesus rebuked the phony the religious phonies in Matthew 23. Jesus 
repelled many followers, so-called followers. John chapter 6, Jesus relied on an unorthodox approach. Luke chapter 4, verse 36, he was arrested at night. Uh, John seventeen twelve. he was pronounced guilty over nothing. Matthew 26, 65, he was executed publicly while hanging there naked on a cross. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 33. Who is Jesus, you ask? Well, Jesus was a religious leader. Jesus was a righteous man. Jesus is the epicenter of many religions. Jesus uh, serves as an inspiration to people everywhere. Oh, but my friend, he's... So much more than that. Jesus is God. And death cannot defeat the God who created it. Uh, a death may have taken Him for a short moment, but Jesus, Jesus stood up. He, 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 he won. He's alive and He's still alive today. Who is Jesus, you ask? Well, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the lily of the valley. He is the bright and morning star. He is a friend to sinners. He's my Savior. His name is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. He is not just a king. He is the King of kings. He's not just a Lord. He is the Lord of lords. Mark describes Him as a suffering servant. Luke describes Him as the Son of Man. And the book of John describes Him as the Son of God. He is my master and my Lord. He is the way, the truth, the life, the door. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. He is the new Adam. He is the second Adam. And He is the last Adam. He is all powerful and yet He is ever personal. Who is Jesus, you ask? He is the light of life and the light of the world. Our planet sets its calendar around its birth. And Satan's head was crushed by his death and his resurrection from the dead. Over the next three weeks, we'll be looking closely at the man who not only changed history here on earth, but has changed history for all of eternity. And he has changed my life. Over the next several sermons, uh, we're going to answer this question, who is Jesus? The funny thing about Jesus is that he is a walking, he was, and in some ways still is, a walking paradox. Two things that seem to contradict each other. These paradoxes describe the life of Christ. Today, we're going to focus on two titles that he will be known by in heaven. Two titles found in Revelation chapter 5. Those two titles make up the title of the sermon this morning. And that is this, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. You ask, how can one person be described as both a lion and a lamb? That is a great question. We're going to seek to answer that question this morning. I believe that Jesus deserves any and every accolade that you could ever give him. But more than our accolades, he desires your heart. If you're here this morning and without salvation, without Christ, without trust in Jesus, can I ask, can I ask you this morning to objectively answer this question or ask yourself this question? Who is Jesus to me?
to me. Not just who is Jesus. Not just who, what do the history books tell us about who Jesus is. But who is Jesus to me? If he is nothing more than just another powerful person in history that falls in line with the names mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, then I want to ask you a question. Will you look beyond just what the historical data tells us? And from your heart, from your soul, will you please consider Christ? Will you let him into your life? Jesus not only wants to be the king of the world, he wants to be the king of your heart. He wants not only to be the healer of hearts in a generic sense, He wants to come down and see the brokenness that sin has created in your life, both your own sin and the sin of others. And He wants to come in and He wants to heal your heart. He wants to heal your heart. If you're saved this morning, let me ask you, uh, who is Jesus now that He's your Savior? Oh, He has saved you, but are you allowing Him to change you day by day? Are you more like Jesus today than you were last week, last month, last year? Or are you in a holding pattern in your Christian life? You see, we get used to the fact that Jesus saved us. And when we stop and think about it, it might move us for a moment. But does it really move the needle in how we behave, how we walk, how we work, how we parent, how we're married, how we are employed, how we maintain our home, how we give of our money to the Lord, how we spend our money out in the world, how we dress, what we listen to? Is our relationship with Jesus becoming, uh, uh, making us who in, uh, into who He wants us to be? Or are we just in a holding pattern? My friend, you're either growing uh, closer to Christ or you're drifting from Him. There is no in-between. You say, well, I've not really progressed in my walk with God. Then I promise you this, you have digressed. You have digressed. If, if you are uh, not closer to Jesus than you were last week, then you're further away. It may not be a very much of a drift, but you're further away. My friend, you unhook a boat from the dock and you let, leave the, uh, the rope sitting inside the boat and just let it sit there. And over time, that boat will drift further and further away. And while at the moment you may not notice you're moving, after several minutes, after several hours, you turn around and you look and you've drifted a long way from the shore. And some of you have not been anchored to Christ for a long time. You've not grown closer to Him. You've put your relationship with Jesus on hold. And what's happened is that you have drifted further and further from Him. And you keep excusing it. You keep making excuses for it. And I just have to say, Jesus wants you to have a personal relationship that is hot, that's on fire for Him. Someone said, I want to be dipped in the kerosene of the Spirit of God. And I want to be lit. I want my heart to be lit on fire for Him. And I ask this morning, are you on fire with your love for Jesus or has those ambers grown cold? Let's jump in tonight and look at or this morning and look at two main thoughts as we consider this question. Who is Jesus and how uh, look at how he is both the lion of Judah and the lamb of God. Number one, notice Jesus is the lion of Judah. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Look down with me at Genesis, or rather turn over to Genesis chapter 49. You can leave your place in Revelation 5. We won't be coming back there this morning. Genesis 49. Judah was the fourth son of Jacob. Interesting enough, Judah would receive the birthright as the fourth born. Now, the, first, the birthright was supposed to be for the first month, 
firstborn, but the firstborn son committed incest. And then the next two brothers uh, committed murder when their uh, sister uh, was taken advantage of. And uh, uh, while Judah definitely had his share of indiscretions and sins, Judah redeemed himself by standing up for Benjamin when Benjamin was in trouble and really growing past a lot of his mistakes that he made. And uh, Judah would receive the birthright. In fact, Jacob here in this passage is nearing the end of his life. He's getting ready to die. And as he's calling his sons in one at a time and saying a blessing over them or rather just maybe a prophecy about them, he gets to Judah and Judah is the first one that he's positive about. Look down at verse number nine and we see how Judah would be described by his father, Jacob, who would have his name changed to Israel or at this point had his name changed to Israel. Look at verse nine. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the And that word whelp is like a baby or a child, uh, okay? Uh, a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And until uh, uh, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Judah, just as a lion is the king of the wild, Judah would be the tribe that would produce King David. Judah would be the tribe that would produce King David. Judah's descendant would be King David. The province of Judah. The province of Judah. So we have 50 states in America, right? And uh, Washington, D.C. does not sit inside of a state. Maryland and Virginia gave up property and Washington, D.C. became its own annexed uh, uh, area, its own uh, district where uh, our nation's capital lies. But the capital of Jerusalem lied inside the state or the province or the type, uh, tribe of Judah. And Judah would house Jerusalem. And that's where uh, their child, David, would one day sit on the throne, the Davidic throne. And that is where the, uh, uh, the descendant of David and the descendant of Judah, Jesus, would one day sit on the throne and rule like a lion. Now, one day Jesus is going to come back and sit on that throne. We looked at that in Revelation. He's going to sit on the throne in uh, Jerusalem. And he's going to rule there for a thousand years. And then that throne or some semblance of it will be placed in the new Jerusalem. And Jesus will rule and reign from David's throne forever from the. So Jesus is just like a lion in that he is a ruler. He is the lion of Judah. Now, to be technical, to be technical, anybody that sat on David's throne was a lion of Judah. A lion of Judah, letter A. Let me give you letter A here. His prestige and power. His prestige and power. We'll come back to that slide in just a moment here. Can you put the next one up there for me? Throw that next slide up there for me. Look at that. What a beautiful animal. While on the screen. If he was walked in, or if he walked through that back door right now... It would be mayhem and panic. All I gotta say is I'm faster than a lot of you. And that door is right there. Um, but you're our shepherd. Yes, I am. <laughs> but that door is right now. Lions are, um, are kingly, aren't they? Stately. Look at him sitting there. The color of, of, of his fur, his mane, um, 
if there was an animal in the desert or in the jungle in the in the in the wild that was stronger than him they would probably look at him and go the other direction there is not a fiercer animal than a lion they are in every way the king of the jungle the king of the jungle Look at that picture while I read out of Matthew chapter 2. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? King of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. His prestige. His prestige. While Jesus was born to simple peasant parents, born with no fanfare or only the fanfare of shepherds uh, immediately at his birth, Jesus was still a prestigious king. Now, another attribute of, of a lion is their raw power. I wanted to show a video of a lion's power in church this morning. I couldn't find one that I could put on the screen and not terrify folks. Um, as I watched videos of lion and their, lions and their power, my stomach churned. They're fierce. They're powerful. And when you, uh, when you see them take down their prey, there is no mercy. There is no mercy. Now, think of it like, and, and I really want you to get this uh, this morning. Satan is also compared to a lion. Because of Satan's power. Because of Satan's power. Now, the difference between Satan as a lion and Jesus as a lion is that Jesus uses his power for good. While Satan uses his power to do what? To steal, kill, and destroy. Steal your joy, kill your, soul, kill your body, and destroy your soul. That's all Satan wants to do. I'm glad the cross is there because Jesus pulled the teeth from the lion. You're saved, that lion can't sink his teeth in you. He can still steal your joy and intimidate you, but he can't, he can't destroy your soul. But Jesus is a lion in that he's powerful, but he uses his power for good. Turn over to Matthew chapter 15 for me. Hold your place in Genesis. We'll, we'll be back there later in the sermon. Matthew 15, verse number 30. Here we find Jesus. He's out with um, the multitudes. Walking the earth, doing his ministry, loving people. Jesus didn't work a job like we think of a job. His job was to pour himself into the Jewish community while he walked the earth. And he found himself in a desert place. In a space where many people could be brought to him. Look at verse 30. And great multitudes came into him, having with them those that were lame, blind, Dumb, or their tongue was incapable of speaking. They were maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. By the way, that's a great place to place somebody, isn't it? Look at this. Think of him as a lion, as a powerful lion. And he healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wandered when they saw the dumb to speak. The maimed to be made whole. The lame to walk. 
and the blind to see. And they glorified the God of Israel. Boy, if I could go back to one story, this might be the story. To see all of these people come up to Jesus broken. And they all leave perfectly whole. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah. He is kingly. His prestige. He is powerful. Look at letter B, His provision. His provision. Lions travel in what they call prides. Prides. Um, They coordinate their efforts while hunting. Uh, Some will sit and roar to scare a set of animals and run them in a direction while others are waiting uh, in the bushes in the direction that those animals will be running. And they leap out and they take down their prey. They make sure that the rest of the pride... Uh, has has what it needs to eat. They provide. They provide. It is up to it is up to the uh, the male pride, the strongest of them all, to make sure that the rest are fed and taken care of. You're in Matthew 15, right? Jesus is a lion in this sense. He provides for our every need. Look at Matthew 15, verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, "I have compassion on the multitude." Because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. And his disciples said unto him, Whence should we have uh, so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? Let me pause the reading there. Here, And, 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 and while I would love to watch Jesus heal uh, the sick, I would also like to be there to smack the disciples upside the head. He'd say, well, why are you being so hard on them? This is the second time this has happened. Jesus has already fed 5,000 men and the women and children that were with them with five loaves and two fishes. They were there to serve the food and to collect the leftovers. This isn't the first time that they've run into this problem. You think one of the twelve would have spoken up and said, wait a minute. We've been here before. But that's not what they said. Look at verse 34. And Jesus saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, seven. And a few little fishes. They were uh, the reverse of most fishermen today. I caught a fish this far from the boat, right? Um, We just have a few little fishes. Verse 35, and he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks and break them. And gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat. And were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that were left seven baskets full. And they did eat, and, and they that did eat were four thousand men beside women and children. So probably close to a crowd of ten thousand in size. Uh, conservatively, Jesus fed them with just uh, a few fishes or a few loaves of bread and a few, as the disciples described them, little fishes. You see how Jesus provides. Jesus provides. Back over in Genesis 22, you don't have to turn there, but I'll just tell you. God told Abraham to put his only son, or the the son in whom he loved, rather, on horseback and take him on a journey, a three-day journey. And when he got to that journey, he was to take his son up on top of a mount, and he was to sacrifice his son. Now, I know that sounds weird, 
But Jesus was drawing a parallel of, 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 of himself. God was having a parallel of himself drawn. And, uh, and, 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 and the picture there was that Jesus would one day lie up on a cross and be killed for our sins. And so as they're going up the mountain, uh, Isaac, 30 years old at this time, looks at his father and he says, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, but dad, where is the sacrifice? And dad looked over at his son and he said this, he said, Jehovah Jireh, or God will provide himself a lamb. Some of you here today really need to hear me say this. Some of you are really struggling to make ends meet. My Jesus is the Lion of Judah. He's a provider. Being a provider is not just what God does. It's who He is. It's who He is. Now, those in my Sunday school class this morning... He's not obligated to provide for our wants, but He always provides for our needs. Always provides for our needs. That, that male lion that leads the pride, He is not going to let those in His pride go hungry. He's going to provide for them. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Let her see, notice His protection. His protection. We looked at His prestige and power, His provision. Let her see His protection. Turn over to John chapter 17 and verse 12. In John 17, we find Jesus laboring in prayer in the Garden of Eden. Or rather, the Garden of Mount of Olives, excuse me. <laughs> Wrong garden. Mount of Olives. And he's uh, talking to his father uh, prior to being arrested. In this prayer, during this prayer, he would sweat dr- great drops of blood. Jesus is praying about his disciples and how that he had done his part to to train them and to teach them. And he then delves into how that he has protected them. Look at verse 12 of John 17. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in, in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept or protected. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition, speaking of Judas. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus said, I have kept them. I have looked over them. I have protected them. Let me tell you this morning that God is going to protect you from all of the things that he knows he does not want bad to happen to you. You say, well, pastor, bad things continue to happen in my life. Not without God giving permission for it to happen and not without him having a grand master plan for that in your life, to create a greater good in your life. You see, the Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 18, verse 2, the Lord is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler, and He is the horn of my salvation. He is my high tower. Uh, uh, the righteous can run into Him and be safe. And i got to tell you, if I could get a lion to be my bodyguard and to be my friend and, and, and convince him not to eat me, I can't think of a better person or a better thing to have to protect me and my friend while I don't have a, a lion on a leash walking in front of me to keep me safe. I have uh, the God who made the lion. He is the Lion of Judah and He is my protector. Letter A, we see His power and prestige. 
Letter B, we see his provision. Letter C, his protection. Letter D, notice our praise. Do you still have your place in Genesis 49? Can you turn back over there for me? Look at verse number 8. Judah comes into the room, maybe a dark room, where his father's lying on a bed. His father is nearing death. The three brothers have gone in in front of him. He was next in line. He goes in. His father lays his hands on his head. His father's approaching death's door. And he says this in verse 8, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in, uh, th- thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. The name Judah means praise. It means praise. He Notice the Bible does not say that he is the lion of Israel. It says he is the lion of Judah. The lion of praise. Of praise. I think about Paul and Silas in the city of Philippi. Preaching the gospel. Doing the right thing. They were arrested. They were stripped naked. They were beaten with lashes. They had their hands placed in stocks and they were placed in the inner prison or the securest place in the prison. They could have sat there and sulked and said, God, if you are a a lion and you're all powerful, why did you allow us to get beat doing what was right? But that's not what they did. They looked up to the lion and they said, we're going to praise him. And the Bible says they sang and they prayed at midnight. And God looked down and saw they're praying and they're praising. And God, the lion, shook the foundation of that prison and the doors flung open and the lion protected his own. You see, some of you here today, you are going through a very difficult time. And you wonder where God's power is. You wonder why God hasn't stepped up and done His part. While God seems to be not paying attention to you and your problems. And I'm here to tell you that God knew Silas and Paul were going to be beaten and arrested and thrown in that jail. And God waited and restrained Himself till the right time to show His power. And God very well will show His power in your life when the time is right. And when he does so, it's going to be awesome. He is the Lion of Judah. Are you praising him this morning? He deserves your praise. We look at this prestigious, powerful provider. We look at this protector that deserves our praise. We see the Lion of Judah. You know, one thing I know about me is that I'm very good at focusing on the times things don't work out for me. And I don't focus on the times that things do work out for me. There was a day where I was uh, coming to work, and I got to ride down some back roads, and I got stuck behind this um, grandma. I, I, my grandma, by the way, had a lead foot, so not all grandmas drive slow. But this is one of those grandmas that sit like this, and they drive really slow, like 10 miles an hour below the speed limit slow. It was one of those days where I had a hard time getting out of work. I think I forgot, like, my wallet at home, and I got 
to the end of the road and had to go back and get it, one of those type deals. And so I was uh, behind uh, uh, schedule, my own schedule. And so, uh, you know, I'm behind her and I'm like writing. And I'm a pastor. My pastor growing up had a pastor on his bumper sticker, a bumper sticker that said pastor on it. I will never put that on my car. <laughs> never. People that already hate religion, there will be more people that hate religion. Um, but I'm riding behind her, and I'm not like about to cuss or anything, because I'm a pastor, I don't do that. But I was wanting to hit the horn, that kind of thing. And anytime I want to hit the horn, um, my wife will look at me and say, don't do that. Just, just, just don't do that. And so um, I get to the end of the road and, and, uh, and turn left and then going up the road there. And finally it splits into two lanes. And I took the lane she didn't take and I zoomed around her. When I went around her. And I got onto Highway 8. And right in front of me, about, about a thousand yards or so in front of me, there was a nasty accident that happened. And I calculated that if she had not been in front of me, I would have been right in the middle of that accident. You're saying, Pastor, are you saying that God put that lady in front of you that day? I'd be crazy to think that he didn't. We focus on when things don't work out, but God has his angels around us. As a lion protecting us, keeping us safe. Number two, let's focus on... Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. While He is a lion, and He is fierce, He is like a lamb. We're going to look at some attributes of a lamb today. Can you take your Bibles and turn over to Isaiah chapter 53? There are a couple of places in the Old Testament that talk about in great detail the death of our Savior. The death of the Messiah. Psalm 22 is one of those chapters. Isaiah 53 is another. Isaiah 53 would be written at a time where crucifixion had not even yet been invented as a way to execute someone, but describes in great detail. We won't look at all the verses. I'd encourage you later to go back and read Isaiah 53 and compare it to the death of Christ. It's quite shocking. But Isaiah 53 tells us all about why Jesus had to die. Notice letter A, our sin stain. Look with me at verse 4 of Isaiah 53. It says, Surely He who, the Lamb, He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded. Why? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Why did Jesus die? Why did He die? He died because of our sin. To the individual that grew up Catholic, to the individual that grew up in a works-based religion, let me ask you a question. If you can work your way to heaven by being a good person, why in the world did Jesus die on the cross? Why would God come down to earth and hang on a cross 
if I could earn my way to heaven through good works. That makes no sense at all. Just like we focus on the negative oftentimes instead of the positive, I believe when it comes to ourselves, we, po- we focus on what we do good and we ignore really how bad and sinful we are. And see, the Bible uses words in this passage like transgressions and iniquities and uh, 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 wrongdoing, or, or rather uh, talks about how that uh, he was bruised uh, because of our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. Uh, those are harsh words. Those are, are, are tough words. But he did that because of our sin stain. Let her be noticed his spotlessness, his spotlessness. Let me read for you 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Listen closely here. It says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation or lifestyle, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. Look here. Listen here. As a lamb without blemish and without spot. Without blemish and without spot. Back in the Old Testament, they had to uh, perform animal sacrifices. And the reason why they did that was to remind them that one day there was a lamb coming who would die on the cross. And they were ordered to go pick a lamb. And it had to be the firstborn lamb. And it had to be a lamb that had no blemish or bruise or spot. And they would take that lamb and they would put him in an observation area. And they would watch that lamb to make sure that he was really truly not injured and he was well fed and well taken care of. And then they would take that lamb to uh, the, the gate there of the tabernacle or later inside the temple. And that lamb would be observed by the, the priest and if he passed inspection he was taken in and that lamb and that lamb only that passed the test was chosen uh, in order to, uh, to, to, to suffer and to be a reminder of the coming Christ. Why was it so important that that lamb be spotless? Because Jesus Christ was without sin. You see, he had no sin. He was without blemish. He was without spot and he died on the cross. Here's the truth. Listen to me. I can't die for your sin because I have my own sin. But Jesus could hang up on the cross and He could die for all of our sin. Because for 33 years, He never lied, stole, cheated, lusted, disobeyed His parents, had a rebellious spirit. He was perfect because He was God. The Bible says He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, yet without spot, yet without stain. And the God of all creation came down in the form of a man and He hung on the cross and God in heaven looked all throughout mankind. He collected every wrongdoing of every person who's ever lived and He turned God into that. That brings us to letter C, His suffering and shame. Look down at Isaiah 53. Verse number 7, his suffering and shame. The Bible says there, speaking of, of Jesus, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Look here. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shears is dumb or ignorant, so he opened not his mouth. You find over and over again in the story where Jesus is arrested, they'd ask him questions and he'd say nothing. He'd just stand there. When pressed, he finally would answer, but he just stood there and let his accusers accuse him. He didn't 
demand a lawyer. He didn't demand defense. He just allowed them to have a phony trial and they, he allowed them to kill him. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 with me. We're done in uh, Isaiah 53. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. While you're turning to 1 Corinthians 5, can you listen to me read Exodus 12, 21? The Bible says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out, draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. So the story here is that the Israelites... Uh, uh, through Jacob and his 12 sons, they had moved to uh, Egypt, lived in the land of Goshen in Egypt. And uh, eventually, as time uh, grew about, the Egyptians would enslave the Israelites and hold them in captivity. Moses would be born. He would leave, come back 40 years later, walk into Pharaoh's court, let my people go. Pharaoh would say, no way, no how. And uh, God sent 10 strong plagues on Egypt. The night before the 10th plague uh, uh, was the first Passover. They were commanded to take a lamb without spot or blemish and to kill that lamb and to take the blood and to dip hyssop, uh, hyssop weed into that blood and wipe that blood on the doorpost, the two side posts and the one at the top, creating the shape of a cross. And a death angel came through that night. And if the death angel saw the blood on the doorpost, he went on by and no harm was done. Uh, the blood was seen and the angel passed. Just like one day, if the blood is laid on your account, the death angel will pass by and you'll go to heaven. Those that didn't put the blood on the doorpost, the death angel entered their home and killed the firstborn inside that home, uh, both of man and beast. And uh, they were they were they were killed. And the blood that was shed that day from that lamb, that lamb was a picture of Christ. If you have the blood of Christ laid on your account, then God's wrath will pass over you, just like the death angel passed over or by them. Look at First Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7. Purge you out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ... Our Passover is sacrificed for us. That night they arrested him. They took him before the high priest. He was buffeted. What does that word buffeted mean? They put a bag over his head. They'd punch him in the face and they'd mock him and say, If you be the Christ, tell us who hit you. They took him before Pilate. And Pilate, in order to attempt to appease the ravaged crowd, crying, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Pilate ordered to have him beaten, hoping that would draw some pity and compassion out of him. They took a cat of nine tails. That's nine leather whips brought into one strap. History tells us they would put glass or bone or sharp rock on the end of those. And they strung Jesus up, history tells us, by His hands until only His toes were touching the ground. And they had a Roman centurion who is an expert with that. And he would hit Jesus with it over and over and over again. I don't know if you've ever been hit with a cow whip, how bad that hurts. But nine of those on your body at one time, they left rivets uh, in his body. They left furrows in his back as they ripped open his body. They took a crown of thorns that they had woven together and they put that on his head and they mashed it down. He said not a word. They took a and they stuck it in his hand and a, a purple robe on his back and they got down and they bowed down to him and they said, Hail, King of the Jews! Mocking him. He was brought back before Pilate where he would have his beard ripped from his 
face. They would take him and lay a cross on his back after Pilate would wash his hands of it. And they'd lead him through the streets of Jerusalem with angry crowds on both sides, throwing rocks and stones and, and, and bottles and yelling at him and saying, Who do you think you are? Crucify him! He His body gave out that day. And they, they, they drew a man out of the crowd named Simon who would help him carry his cross up to Golgotha or Calvary's Hill. They would lay him down there and he would willingly stretch out his hands. They would take railroad-sized spikes and they would drive them through his wrists and through his ankles and they would lift him up to the sky. Jesus at any moment could have come down. He could have gone from being the lamb to the lion, but He put on the persona of a lamb and He allowed Himself to bleed to death and die carrying my sin and carrying your sin. And He suffered like an innocent lamb that day. He hung naked on the cross and He was ashamed that day. The Bible tells us again in Isaiah 53 that no man would own Him, but they would despise Him. They would reject Him. They would mock Him. Why? Because Jesus was the suffering lamb who died for my sin and died for yours. Letter D, we see our salvation. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says this. It says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given unto men whereby we must be saved. How do you get saved? How do you get rescued? You must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You must believe that He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and He became your sin. And He bought for you the gift of salvation or eternal life. And He wants to give that to you. You must turn from your unbelief. You must turn and believe in Jesus and what He did. You must call out to Him to save you. John chapter 1 verse 29. John the Baptist is introducing Jesus to the world. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The question to you today is very simple. Is Jesus take is Jesus here to take away the sin of the world, or have you allowed Him to take your sin away? It's not good enough that He died on the cross for everyone. You must choose to know that He died for you, and you must call on His name. You must believe with all your heart. Christian today, He is a lion. He is there to protect you, to provide with you. He is worthy of your praise. To the lost one today, He was your lamb. He died for you. Are you going to let His death be in vain? Are you going to turn to Him today and accept Him? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Jesus is the Lamb of God. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life that I put my faith and trust in Jesus to save me. I have accepted what the Lamb did for me on Calvary. I know that I know that I know that one day I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. Not because of my good works, but because I have believed in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. Here's my hand and testimony of that. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Hold it high for a minute. Don't be ashamed if you've put your faith in Jesus. You can put your hands down. If you have not done that, let me encourage you today to do that. Let me encourage you right now, right this very moment, to do that. See, the Bible tells us 
In Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Jesus is knocking on your heart's door right now. He wants to come in. He wants to be not just the one that created the earth. He wants to be your Savior. Will you call on him right now? Will you ask him to forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life? If you've not yet done that, let me help you to do that. Romans chapter 10 tells us that you must confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. You must believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. It says, then you'll be saved. Right there where you're sitting under your breath, if you've never asked Jesus to save you, will you just pray this simple prayer? Just say, dear Lord Jesus, under your breath, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin is wrong. I know I deserve death and hell for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and being that spotless, sinless lamb that died for my sins. I accept you into my life. Save my soul. In Jesus' name. Their heads bowed and eyes still closed. If you prayed that prayer and the Lord saved you today, would you just indicate that by slipping your hand up for me? I prayed that prayer. I asked Jesus to save me. Is there one? Is there one? Is there someone here today who say, Pastor, I didn't pray that prayer, but I know at some point I need to pray that prayer. Pastor, will you pray for me that God will show me how I can make my peace with Him a little more clear? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? I'm not sure that I'm ready to pray that prayer. But I know at some point I probably should. Is there one? How many here today say, Pastor, I have lost perspective how that God, that Jesus, is a lion that's worthy of my praise. I have lost perspective on His ability to protect and provide. And Pastor, pray that I will run into Him, into that high tower, and know His provision and His protection, that I will praise Him as I ought to. If that's you, would you slip up your hand this morning? I have lost sight of that, and I needed to be reminded of that this morning. God is good to me. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us as we focus on you to learn who you are even better. I pray if there's one here today that isn't saved, that hasn't trusted you, that today they do that. Help the saved to... Lord, see you for who you are, a great provider and protector, worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. The altar is open. Christians, you're encouraged to come and kneel and pray. If you're here today and you're not saved, you've not put your faith in Jesus, or you'd like more information about how to do that, Pastor Mike is standing down front. He'd love to take the Bible and show you how you can know if you're a woman. We can have a lady, a lady. We can have a lady show you how to do that. If you've been saved and not yet baptized, we'd love to help you to make that decision to be baptized. If you've been saved and baptized, but you've not yet joined our church, will you consider coming forward and getting more information about how you can be a member today? Well, let's make decisions for Christ today. Let's thank Him for His great sacrifice and praise Him for His great power.